Welcome to the Core Women Podcast, the place for women entrepreneurs, authors, and self-starters looking to build community and gain valuable insights through expert interviews with women at the top of their game. Join your host, podcaster, producer, expert coach, entrepreneur, and author, Dr. Summer Watson, as she aims to inspire and empower you through these candid conversations. Lean in and embrace the journey. It's time to start the show. Here's your host, Dr. Summer Watson. Today on the show, I would like to welcome Minda Zetlin, who is the author of Career Self-Care and writes the highly popular laid-back leader column for Inc.com, is a regular contributor to Insider.com, CNBC.com, author and co-author of several books, most recently, The Geek Gap, and former president of the American Society of Journalists and Authors. We have so much to chat about today, Minda. Thank you for being here with me. And welcome. Well, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Before we delve into your professional background and all the things that you've done, and those are many things, tell us a bit about yourself, your personal journey, maybe where you grew up, and what was really the thing that lit you up when it came to being a writer? Well, I grew up in New York City. I'm a first-generation American. My father was a Russian emigre via France, and my mother came from the Philippines. So I grew up multiculturally, uh, speaking French as well as English. And my grandfather was a writer. Uh, I never got to meet him. He died years before I was born. But somehow, I don't know, I have that instinct, I guess. So when I was an adolescent, um, I was also an only child, so I spent a lot of time amusing myself. So <laughs> when I was an adolescent, I wrote this strange little comic book short story just for my own amusement called The Joni Trio, and my mother found it, and she was like, you know, you're a writer, and I said, I am, and uh, I have been ever since, really. Oh, I love that story. That is so fascinating. Thank you for telling it. So you've written a new book. And that new book is called Career Self-Care, Find Your Happiness, Success, and Fulfillment at Work. Can you, in one or two sentences, describe the book and the intention of it? Yes. So, of course, authors always have to have an elevator pitch for the book. So this is mine. It's how to have a great career and a happy life without making yourself miserable. Mm. And um, I find that Americans in particular resonate with that or respond to that because we're such a frantically driven uh, kind of culture. And we have this Puritan history. And we tend to think that if you're working hard and you're being successful, then it, it shouldn't be fun or pleasurable or relaxing. And if you're having fun and relaxing, then you're a layabout and you're not really paying attention to your career. And the whole argument of my book is that, in fact, being happy and healthy and at ease enforces being successful in the world. Mm-hmm. I like what you mentioned there, that kind of Puritan upbringing, that conditioning of we must do to be successful. You've got to keep on going. You've got to, got to, got to, got to. So I get what you're saying with that. And I hear this all the time. I'm so busy. I can't take time off because Uh it will hurt my career or my business. But you suggest that one should take time off and invest in their self-care and wellness. And you address this in chapter 16 of your book. 
Please tell us more about this and your research about careers in self-care. There is a massive amount of research out there that suggests that, oh, I'm so busy. Oh, I can't. I have to work all the time. Oh, I don't even have time to get a good night's sleep. I can never take a day off. Uh, Aside from the fact that it's not good for you in general, is not necessarily good for you as an employee or uh, an entrepreneur, if that's what you are. And especially if the work that you do requires thinking, requires creativity or any kind of innovation, it really helps a lot. Um, There's brain science that explains this, but it really helps a lot to step away from a task in order to make those creative connections that can take you a step forward in whatever it is you're doing. There's a reason people often have their best ideas in the shower or uh, sitting in a kayak or taking a walk or a hike. You actually need that. Your brain needs that to function at its best. And of course, your career will go best if your brain is functioning at its best. Um, The other thing, of course, and it's really not a minor matter, is that doing things like skipping vacations and not getting enough sleep and never taking a day off, besides the fact that they will make you worse at your job, will do things like lead to early death Um, greater incidence of Alzheimer's and all kinds of things that besides not being good for your career, you just really might want to avoid. That's interesting. I've had a lot of these conversations with not just my guests, but my peers, my colleagues about taking time off or feeling stressed, especially with what we get from social media. A lot of the times in relation to it's constantly on the go. You've constantly got to be on, you've got to be out there and really showing your face and really getting your message across. So you're not forgotten. So yes, you do address this throughout your book. And that's something that I really like. And I was talking to a friend, Dr. Collins, and she said a lot of times what she does is she's decided to integrate into her day things that will allow her to be creative, even without stepping away from work. So maybe just looking at a plant or maybe being able to take a deep breath or do one, doing a one minute meditation, which are some great ideas for being able to do that for your own self-care. Yeah, all those things are indeed very useful. And a lot of them, as you know, there's exercises all through the book. Every chapter has a, yes. a, at least one or two exercises at the end of it. And many of them are things like that that will help you bring a little bit of peace into the middle of your work day, which is so helpful people fear the M word meditation. So, (laughs) and I I get it. I mean, it's scary for me too, but um, just pausing and taking three breaths, especially three breaths where you exhale longer than you inhale will physiologically bring you to calm and peace. Looking at a plant is a fantastic idea. There's um, again, there's brain research that shows that looking at nature and looking at plants has uh, benefits and Brain experts have told me that, you know, you can't expect to focus on work throughout your entire day. That's not how the human brain works. It's um, meanders. It's easily distracted. So instead of trying to wrestle it into submission, which is what I think we mostly do most of the time, when it meanders, let it meander for a moment. But the best thing to do then, if you can do it where you are, is look out a window because that gives you just exactly the right amount of, you know, external stimulation. So I'm looking out my window right now to distract you a little bit. Whereas if you opened Facebook or, you know, uh, a video game or something, then you'd be lost for an hour. So 
this will, it'll bore you and send you back to what you're supposed to be doing quicker. So those are actually right on point with the brain science, those ideas. Well, yeah, as a doctor of psychology, I've read a lot of the science as well in relation to looking out a window, looking at a green plant, colors, you know, all these variables. And I love what you mentioned about the shower because I absolutely am one of those people that gets in the shower and all of a sudden my brain relaxes and I start having these incredible creative ideas. And I'm like, I love the shower. So I'm so taken with your attitude and your delivery in this book that when you give a suggestion, you provide guidance, but you also support the reader to develop their own process or process that will work for them, such as in chapter four, when you talk about journaling. So I was going to get there. So can you give a few tips and your insight about journaling and why this modality for self-motivation can be so powerful? It's super powerful for me and super powerful for a lot of people. It doesn't mean that's going to work for everyone. And when I say journaling, I write pen on paper. There's many different ways to do it. Obviously, people have smartphones, computers, blogs, um, blogs that are just for themselves, video blogs, vlogs. Uh, There's a wonderful episode of Grace and Frankie where Frankie makes Grace vlog in order to figure out what she really wants. And sure enough, it works. (laughs) So So the first thing I want to say is that we can expand our definition of journaling. It could also be doodling. Um, I'm not a very visual person. Some people are um, often drawing or doodling is a perfectly effective way of journaling. So I can talk about how journaling has worked for me and how I do it. And that's actually what I lay out in the book is how I do it. Uh, I've been Mm -hmm. journaling my whole life. And for many, many years, it was just, you know, whatever mood was flying through my head especially if I was in a rage or I was upset or I was depressed, I would journal. Then uh, at some point I read The Artist's Way, which tells you to write three pages every morning. And I kind of got in that habit. And that's as far as it got until one day I watched the three minute bullet journaling video Mm -hmm. and which is out there and easy to watch. And I certainly recommend it. Uh, The bullet journal is something else. It's really a way to organize your life and your projects. Um, And I think it's very effective as that goes. But what happened to me is that the two things combined in my brain. And so now my journals, which I have a lot of them because I fill them up fast, combine plans for things that I want to do, goals that I set for myself, what I intend to get done on a given week, on a given month, whether or not I did any exercise today, whether or not I meditated today, because that's one of the things I'm trying to track because I do it often, but not every day. And also what has happened to me, what I'm thinking, what's on my mind, what I'm worried about, what I'm dreaming about. Sometimes when I planted a garden, I put a diagram of the garden in there, whatever is going through my brain. A very powerful thing to do in a journal, and this is something that I recommend for everyone, even if you don't actually journal, you don't like to journal, is to take about a minute at the end of the day, right before you go to sleep and write down what you did that day. I think that's, for me, that's very powerful because I'm one of these people and maybe some of your listeners are too, who get to the end of the day and think, damn it, I didn't get everything done that I wanted to get done. I'm so lazy. What's wrong with me? If you stop and write down what you did get done, you'll often find that there was plenty of stuff that you did get done. And of course you didn't get everything done because you never get everything done. So um, that's a really powerful piece of journaling that takes only a minute or so and that I highly recommend. 
So I combine all these things. There's a lot more detail in the book. I can go into more detail now if you would like, but that's a basic overview of how I use journaling and how, you know, this little notebook that costs $6.99 at the um, office supply store can become an incredibly powerful tool for tracking your motivation, for tracking where you are in life at any given moment, for giving you a record of what you've done and what you plan to do and um, what you dream about. Oh, uh, I love that. Thank you for giving us that great snapshot of what journaling is for you, because it might also give others some ideas about what it could be for them as well. And when you said doodling, even in a journal, and for me, that might be nice to where I have artist friends who doodle in their journal and then write words. It's like free association for them. So there's a lot of ways you can use a journal. But what I love is that you take this delivery in your book and make suggestions. And so people can really draw from those suggestions and determine how can I do it best for myself and what's my process look like. That's always great. So my next to last question is, I was just talking to a peer the other day. And every time I call her, I ask her how things are going. And she says, I hate my job. I just hate my job. But everything she she likes, she works for a company that's on the S&P 500. She has a really good job when considering salary, but she dislikes the job so much, but she stays in it. And in chapter 10 of your book titled, Why You Should Make Sure to Do What You Love, what are a couple of suggestions you would give someone that hates their job? Okay. Well, um, you know, it's very easy to be flip and say, okay, if you hate your job, then do, you know, get, go someplace else, do something about it. For some people, that might be easier than others. It depends uh, what your profession is. It depends if there are reasons of geography or scheduling that hold you in a particular place or to a particular job. So I want to acknowledge the reality that it's not easy for everyone to walk away from every job. Having said that, you know, even with everything that's going on in the economy right now, and even with the layoffs that we started to see in some sectors, unemployment is still historically low in the United States. And this is still probably the best time in my entire lifetime to be looking for a different job. So the first thing I'd say is that if you're unhappy about your job, think about doing something about it sooner than later. It's interesting. You said that your your friend has a job that in many ways would appear to be a great job. So I would say that the first thing might be to do a little bit of analysis and figure out what it is about the job that she doesn't like. And it could be, it could be she's in the profession that isn't quite the right fit for her. It could be that she's doing a lot of tasks that she really doesn't want to do. It could be, and this is the most common reason people hate their jobs, that she doesn't like who she's working with or who she's working for. Many of those things possibly could be changed without actually going to look for a new job. Um, If you're bored, you can think about trying to take on new or different projects. If you're stuck with a lot of tasks you don't like, not possible in every job for sure, but you might look for a way to hand off some of those tasks to someone else. If you you have a colleague or a boss who's really um, not a good fit for you personality-wise, um, one approach is to, to try and get to know that person a bit better and figure out if you can um, have a better relationship. But another approach, which might be easier, might be to look for a lateral move of some kind that would move you to some other part of the organization where you'd be working with someone else. The main thing I would say about anyone who hates their job is don't do nothing. 
we spend a huge percentage of our lives at work. It is really sad to stay stuck in a job that you hate if you haven't explored everything you can to find a way to do something different. Absolutely. I really appreciate all of those suggestions. I will go back to one of the things that you said in relation to maybe it's not the right fit, or maybe you're having some issue with personalities, or maybe in her case, it was, they were very degrading. So they would say the way you're contributing isn't exactly the way we want you to contribute, or we're going to take this away from you or those kinds of things. And she'd go back and say, okay, how can I do this better? How can I, and they just were very demeaning. And so she dealt with this for many years and I had a session with her and the other day she writes me, she said, I quit my job. And I said, fantastic. Because she's also a business owner. She's also, she has so many other things that she can afford her lifestyle without that job. But because of the conditioning, because of how she grew up, because her parents kept saying, stay with your job, stay with your job, stay with your job. And so finally she said, you know what? I need to be happy with my choices. And so she was, and it was the insurance part that was really holding her back. And she said, but I can buy insurance. I'm like, what's keeping you there? And so I got a message saying, I quit my job. And I was like, oh, and you're right. We don't always have to jump ship. There are other things we can do before we do that. If you find that you're not happy with your job, there's definitely different ways that you have mentioned that you can explore before you actually decide to leave that job. But like you said, because we had the quote unquote great resignation, this is, and unemployment is so high right now. This is, and I always say, this is the best time to find maybe that ideal job. There are so many jobs available. Create a job for yourself. Go to a company and ask, hey, if you like the company and they don't have a position open, there's also a way to explore maybe getting creative and creating a position with a company that you really want to work for. And I've had friends who have done that as well. So I love all your suggestions here. So as we come to the close of the interview, my last question is, if you were to leave the listeners with some words of wisdom today, what would they be? Well, you know, uh, when you sign a book, if you're an author, you often write like some tagline in it when you sign it. And I thought a lot about what I wanted to do here. And what I write when I sign my book is make yourself happy. And I think that's so important. Someone asked me recently in an interview, why should people feel like they have the right to be happy? And I think that's the wrong way to look at it. I think people have the responsibility to be happy or to be as happy as they can be. That doesn't mean they don't have responsibilities to other people in their lives and to the community. But research shows that happier people are better citizens, less likely to commit crimes, more likely to volunteer, uh, certainly better coworkers, definitely better bosses. If you want to make the world a better place, there's lots of ways to do it. But one of the most important is to make yourself as happy as you can be. Mm-hmm. I love that. Thank you, Minda, for joining me on the Core Women podcast today. Thank you so much. It's been fun. Thank you. You can follow Minda Zetlin on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Inc.com, and at her website, which is www.mindazetlin.com. Thank you for joining us on the Core Women podcast with Dr. Summer Watson. We're so glad you're here and would love to connect more with you. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Core Women and on Twitter at Core Women One. 
For more about CORE Women and Dr. Watson, visit corewomen.com. Want more support and resources for amazing women like you? Great! Join Dr. Watson and Jen Fontanilla at the Life, Love & Money Collective, a CORE Women production that aids in understanding the key traits that might be getting in the way of living a life that you are absolutely passionate about. Connect with Summer and Jen and find out more at thelifeloveandmoney.com.